This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Stu Friedman. are taking off tonight. Welcome everybody to Work and Life. This is a conversation about flying into outer space. No, it's a conversation about, well, your work and your life, everything about it, your family, your community, our society, our fragile society, and your private self, who you are individually, your mind, body, and spirit. How do you bring all those pieces together? That's what we focus on on this show. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm the founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project, our Wharton Leadership Program. And tonight's topic, when we're trying something new, whether it's an idea at work, a move you might want to make in your personal life, maybe it's starting your own company, everyone encounters risk, self-doubt, fear, anxiety, guilt. How do you overcome those, those roadblocks to launch something new? My guest tonight is on a mission to erase those roadblocks, real and imagined, to enable greatness in others. She recently published a great book that deals with this topic, and it's called simply The Launch Book, which I recommend you read. It draws on firsthand stories from some really interesting people and behavioral science principles to help everyone be braver about launching because she believes we're launching all the time. Sanyin Sheng is an author, leadership advisor, and CEO coach. She co-founded and leads the Coach K Center on Leadership and Ethics based at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. And the center uh, focuses on leadership development for Duke's 800 MBA students every year and others. As, as a CEO coach, she applies an ecosystem approach to problem solving, innovation, and culture building. She's a member of an original member of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches, and she's an advisor for Google Ventures, the Sports Innovation Lab, and Duke CE, Duke Corporate Ed. And I'm not going to give an advertisement for how they are the number one rated Financial Times ranked custom education provider for the last 12 years. I'm not going to say that. Um, but I am going to say to uh, San Ying Sheng, welcome to Work and Life. Oh, Stu, thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, it is great to have you here. And I am thrilled to be, uh, as, as I understand it, the first... Um, interview that you've done on radio for this book. Is that true? Yes. And so I'm feeling a little bit vulnerable right now. And this is a type of launch for me. And thank goodness you're a member of my launch tribe. I have a lot of trust in you and we're going to have fun. <laughs> now, tell me, Sanyin, why is it that you have a lot of trust in me? What has, what has led to that? I have, first of all, um, my colleagues, Sim Sikkin and other, you are so esteemed oh um, by others in your in in this field and I've been a fan of your work for many many years um, this idea of integrating work a holistic way to uh, engage in our lives you know t in order to create more meaning and purpose and uh, be more energized I I think it's wonderful Stu and so because of your work and just uh, everything I've that's backed up by every thing I've known and heard from others who know you, hmm. that's where the trust comes from. That is good to know and very heartening. So thank you so much for sharing that. Sonia, let's talk about, well, before we get to your, your wonderful book, The Launch Book, can you give us just a bit of background about what inspired you to write it? Mm. Your own personal journey from the Duke MBA program, which is where I gathered 
uh, you, you, you started to germinate these ideas to, to leadership coach and all the other stuff you're doing? How'd you mm. get here? So there were several reasons why I wrote the launch book. So the idea of how do we launch was really something I see as an underlying question uh, in people I spoke with, whether it's the students whom I mentor or the CEOs whom I coach. Everyone is in the process of of wrestling with the change that's happening in our environments all the time. And why we launch is uh, in order to address those changes. Launch is a change from the status quo. So launch is really a way of looking at embracing change and actually leveraging change. And then I also wrote the book um, for me, because I realized for every single launch, um, I'm, I need to feel braver. And wouldn't it be great if there's a framework that can help me feel braver every time I launch? And then I also launch, uh, I also wrote the book for, it's a love song. I think of it as a love song to all the people whose advice have helped me be braver um, over the course of my career and my various launches. And what a way to, why should I be selfish and keep all that advice to myself? Why not amplify their messages? So when you said you need to be braver each time around, why do you say that? Oh, gosh. Um, so I'll take launching the launch book as an example of that. So I've written tons of articles for Forbes and Huffington Post, and I thought writing a book would be super easy in the abstract. <laughs> <laughs> you laugh because you've been through this experience. Yeah, that's funny. But go and, ahead. And so I thought, oh, yes. And, you know, when something is in the abstract, before you commit to it, mm -hmm. it's a blazing success, right? But the moment we commit to something, the possibility of failure becomes very real. Mm. And it's that fear of failure, I would have to say at the end of the day, it's a fear of failure. And so think about how many times do we have ideas and now we don't do anything with those ideas. Well, mm -hmm. it's because once we commit, then we start thinking about, well, it's not going to be the way I imagined it would be. But then let's reframe that. So what? What if it becomes something even better than what we imagine to be? What if we look at it as a, the entire journey as a discovery process? Instead of focusing purely on the outcomes as a metric of success, let that one of the outcomes be greater self-awareness and how we relate to others. So did something occur in your own experience that led you to realize this, this insight about um, commitment and, and the, the subsequent fear of failure that holds people back from launching? Yes, it was when I committed to writing the launch book. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, um, the publisher and I had talked about it, and I, my initial reaction was, oh, that would be easy. And then when the contract came, and I didn't sign it for weeks, and my husband said to me, what are you afraid of? And confronting my own fears, I said, what if this is such a flop? What if I only sell one copy? Mm -hmm. And he said, great. Um, what if that one person who reads the book, it changes how they think? It makes them a little bit braver. Would that be a success? You change a life, you change the world. That's right. And so that that helped ease, um, ease, mm -hmm. ease into the process a little bit more. But every step of the way... That, because we all fall into that comparison trap. But let me just jump back here, though, because, Sen, you, you must have had some of these ideas before writing the book, because what were you going to write the book about if you didn't already know? I mean, obviously, you had developed expertise and in the, as, as a leadership coach. How did you get to that point from your early, from your early days? Could you just give us like a brief, like, you know, what was the critical episode that led you onto this path? Um. If I have to really think about a point in my life, it I would have said I would I would say it starts with a failure. It starts with a blazing failure. Um, my failure came when I was an undergrad at Duke University, and uh, with that failure, it changed. I was that kid who planned everything in advance, and that failure helped me rethink who am I and what are my values. And I stopped planning so much and living more in the moment 
And that being in the moment led me to be able to pivot and reframe a lot better. So I was originally, when I came to Duke as an undergrad freshman year, I thought I was so sure I was going to be in uh, go to medical school. Wow. That was my profession that I had chosen for myself without mm-hmm. really understanding what is it beyond an idea of I want to help people without really understanding the commitments and mm-hmm. what does it mean to be a physician. And um, the failure, uh, you know, in, in the course of that prevented that from being a possibility. And it was devastating. So but you mean I like you to, failed a class or a series of classes? Or? Uh, I got a D. And my, I, I got a D, and I also had some Cs and Bs. And I was mm-hmm. that kid who never got anything less than 96 in, in high school. Mm-hmm. And I, my identity was all around being smart mm-hmm. as a fixed mindset. And... The grades destroyed that identity, pulverized it. And suddenly I had to stop and think, who am I? And it was, you know, as any identity shift, it was really tough. And thank goodness I have wonderful friends and family mm-hmm. to help me through that. But it means I, I wasn't going to apply to medical school. That's not even an option. So what do I do next? And that started opening up the way to less planning and being more in the moment, discovering more who am I, what energizes me, how can I be a valuable contributor Mm -hmm. to the world and engage with the world around me. And then pivots became a lot easier after that. And every pivot is a launch in and of of itself. So... Uh, so when did you get the idea of, of putting this together in a book, the ideas that you've been developing a, as a coach and, and from your own experience, and, and as well as your access to the research and uh, behavioral science? I, it, if you ask me how long did it take me to write the book, I would say the actual writing part was six weeks. How long did it take me to write the book? It was stories collected over 10 years. You know, there wasn't one point... I guess if I reflect back on it, when the publisher and I were talking, they had sent over these concise series they were doing. They have the networking book, the storytelling book. And at that point, I allowed the people whom I was speaking with, um, whether mentoring or coaching or advising, they were all dealing with change. And so I thought, well, it's really about launching. So why don't we write the launch book, make that the title? And that's how that idea hmm. came about. Oh, wow. So give us the essence then of, I mean, launch is such a wonderful word. It has <laughs> propulsion to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and it has a sense of uh, excitement. Um, what, uh, what are you trying to capture with that word? And then what, what are the essential ideas that you share in this book with your readers? Mm. So launch, I wanted to... <clears throat> Look at it as both being and doing. There is a wonderful momentum to that word. You know, the image is you think about rocket ships launching. Um, But I also want us to step back and reflect first on who we are. So the first, the fundamental aspects of launch are one, be you. Like, do you know who you are? Mm -hmm. Um, And if you don't, then have that build into the launch process, the self-discovery, mm-hmm. right? Um, because w- if we launch in response to change, that change is going to make us uncomfortable. And that in- it's through that discomfort that we gain even greater insights into ourselves and how we can engage with the world. So being you. So what, what's your particular take on that? Because we've had so many people on the show, and my, my work as well focuses on starting with uh, clarifying who you are, what matters most to you in your life. Mm-hmm. What, how do you help people to do that? What's your particular approach to that ah, tremendously so, important foundational question? of Who so, are you anyway? <laughs> It's a it's a lifelong discovery. Of course right? it is. It's a lifelong discovery. For all of us. And so there's two things. One is the f- reflection, and two is we discover ourselves through engagement with others, mm-hmm. right? So um, so I there's this talk I give around superpowers, launching your uh, inner superhero, 
And here's a paradox about superpowers. Right? I talk about superpowers versus strengths because superpowers are also things that energize you, that you, 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 you find passion in doing. So you can be good at something, but it may not energize you. Mm-hmm. That's more of a strength. But the superpower, that's the thing that you do that energizes you. And here's a paradox. When something is a superpower, uh, it comes so easily that you think everyone else has it too. Mm. So how do we best discover our... We're terrible at So superpower is something that energizes you and you're good at it. Yes. And, and so, as a corollary, you think everybody is. Yes. We, we tend to think it because it comes so easily It's natural. So how do we... We're terrible at discovering our own superpowers. We are? Why is that? Oh, well, because it just comes... It seems so obvious. Mm. You know, doing... Like, if you are brilliant at math... You think about Sherlock Holmes and his statement, but it's obvious because deduction came so easily to mm-hmm. him. However, through engagement with others, we're terrible at discovering our own superpowers. We're great at identifying other people's superpowers. Hmm. And so we need others to help us discover our own superpowers. It's that engagement. Mm-hmm. All right, right so, so it starts with discovery of your own superpowers? It starts with discovering of your purpose, mm-hmm. what energizes you, what you're good at. Um, and on the purpose, one tactical approach that I would recommend is, uh, is to come up with an inspiration board and also come up with an impact board. Inspiration and impact. Those, mm-hmm. you, you differentiate those. Why is that? Yes. So inspiration is who who you want to be, or things that you think reflect who you are. I got this idea from my friend, Bill Schlow, who's the chief innovation, uh, chief information officer for the San Francisco Giants. If you walk into Bill's office, there's these two boards. One is an inspiration board that's all the quotes on there that inspire him. And he could see it, he could visualize it, and it's great. Hmm. On another opposite ends of his office where he could also see it is his impact board. And that's headlined by this Jackie Robinson quote, which says, you know, a life of significance is measured by its impact on others. And on it are the true American hero. Yes. And on that board are the things that Bill finds that he's, he measures his impact in society on. Yeah. Like what? Was he? Ha- what's Bill so, have on that board? For example, there is there's thank you letters from mm. fans of San Francisco Giants whom he's given access to being mm. you know being uh, being at a game. And mm-hmm. on that board, what I notice is there's this business card from a champ- a CIO of another sports team. I said, Bill, why is that business card on there? And he said, Well, when that guy graduated from college. He came to me to ask for insight and for help on career advice, and now he's my peer, and I'm so proud of that. Nice. Hey, Ah. Sanya, let me take a break here and just uh, remind our listeners, you are listening, folks, to Work and Life on Business Radio Sirius XM 111. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. So happy you're with us during this conversation. I'm talking with Sanyin Sheng, who is the executive director of the Coach K Leadership and Ethics Center at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. We're talking about her work there as well as her wonderful new book. It's it's really very practical and poignant at the same time. It's called The Launch Book, just published a couple of months ago. So, Sanyin, you were saying about uh, inspiration board, impact board, so just keeping yeah. those ideas in front of you. And so then, when you're, you may not be able to come up with a mission statement about your life, mm-hmm. but if you start seeing the patterns in what you put on your inspiration board and the patterns, which is who you are choosing to be, and your impact board is how you want to, how you, what are you proud of in how you've made a difference in the world? Mm-hmm. When you start looking at those patterns, I think your purpose and what energizes you will reveal itself a lot faster. All right. So so as as we both know, as everyone listening knows, that's a continual process of discovery. But uh, for those people who need a boost 
or uh, emphasis on really drilling down into, well, what is my purpose here and what I ought I be pursuing? There's other ways of going about that, looking into the future and imagining what an ideal future might look like. Uh, but but y- your ideas are, are, are very helpful uh, in getting people to see who they want to become and what impact they want to have. So then what? So being you is followed by what? What, what comes next? Build your tribe. Build your tribe. So one is with the being you, why is that so important? It's, you know, whatever you are launching, it has to be in alignment with your values and who you are Mm -hmm. so that you can have a sense of belief because that belief is what's going to sustain you through the downs and the ups and the downs of any launch process. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And every launch process is that squiggly. <laughs> it's it's never one straight line upwards. It's a squiggling up and down. It's a roller coaster ride. It's a belief. And that belief, belief, comes from being you. Then hmm. um, we never launch alone. You know, just as we started this conversation talking about superpowers and how through others we can discover our super, through interaction with others and others' feedback is how we discover our superpowers. Uh, and what we're good at and what energizes us, things that differentiate us, building that tribe, that launch tribe is so important. And the type of people we should have in our launch tribe, the obvious ones that everyone think about are um, mentors, you know, people who are cheerleaders, people who can give you advice. But the two types of people that we don't think about, including in our launch tribe, that's so critical, are... One, the naysayers. And the second one is actually co-creating with our customers. Um, naysayers, uh, you know, when we hear someone who's dismissive of our launch idea or our dreams, mm-hmm. we tend to cast them aside, right? Well, you want to deny the, the negative uh, input coming at you because it, uh, it might diminish your motivation or your confidence. Mm-hmm. Both. And, but I think... If we dig deeper, because people usually have a really, they're not great. I don't think, what I found is people are not great at identifying the causes, but they're great at um, seeing the symptoms, right? So if someone's saying, you know what, the idea is not going to fly, or uh, say if you decided that you want to be an artist in your next chapter. How did you know that, son? (laughs) Wow, um, that is impressive. And um, and I say to you, Stu, I don't think that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah well, um, you're right, and I'm not going to do it. But go ahead. Well, but but instead of saying, saying something, responding like, "Oh, uh, you're right," or mm-hmm. "I'm not going to do it," or "Gosh, you don't know me at all," <laughs> why not ask? Okay, tell me more. Tell me why you think mm-hmm. I won't be able to do that. And really ask those questions to unearth what they're seeing because we might have a blind spot mm-hmm. that we need to address. And so the naysayers are actually critical for that, their yep. feedback. Absolutely. And then co-creating with the customers. Um, I think you think about career launch. Um, the idea of your customer is the industry, the company that you're, you hope to be a part of. Being able to co-create with them means asking them questions, right? Asking them questions and what they're understanding, what their needs are, seeing things from their point of view mm-hmm. so that you can understand where you can best be a contributor. And there's shared ownership when you allow that co-creation to happen. So customers and then uh, over the overview is embracing different, uh, embracing different points of view into, into that launch tribe. So being you, building your tribe, particularly mm-hmm. with uh, the the people who you're trying to uh, influence as your yeah. customers, however you define that in your particular line of activity, whatever that might be. It could be your family for that matter. Um, uh, and, and, and bringing in the voice of the dissenter who's going to help to challenge you and, and, uh, and, and uncover what might be blind spots. Then what? And then it's about imagining the possible. By the way, let me just pause here, Stu. Yes. And share with you, I think one of your superpowers 
is the ability to take someone's ramblings like mine <laughs> and succinctly pull out here the key points. That's very kind of and you. And make it sound so meaningful and eloquent <laughs> and great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sanyan. But uh, so, uh, but back to you and and what you were saying about. The next piece, imagining the possible, the imp- mm-hmm. the possible or the impossible, the possible, of course, the possible. Imagine so that's the possible. and a lot of times we don't even know what's possible because we're limited in our perspective, and that's why the launch tribe is so important mm. for discovering what's possible and being what we cannot yet see. And so, um, part of that uh, imagining the possible is, you know, ideas such as uh, plan for luck. <laughs> what? Plan for luck. Plan for luck. That's that's Plan of course a paradox. <laughs> it's um I think we have no idea what opportunities will come around the corner nor what challenges, but being prepared um is important. How do you do that? How do you plan for luck? How do you plan for luck? I think it's by one, just diving in on what you're really good at. Right. And knowing what you're good at mm-hmm. and then engaging with others and being in the moment and listening, listening carefully to what others have to say. That listening is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in co-creating with your customers, they they may offer an insight and you might miss that insight if you're not listening. But that insight might lead to a new opportunity for application of your launch idea. Yeah, we really work hard on that with our students, as I know you do as well at at Duke. And it's hard because so many uh, people are taught through social messages and culture as well as in their educational institutions and in their families not to listen so much as make your point and to mm. control the conversation rather than make it a learning exchange. Mm. Uh, so how do you overcome the the tendency that we see in so many people around us and in our society to not listen and to not use the the incredible value of, of the ideas and perspectives of the people surrounding us? Mm. That's a great question. Oh, thinking about it, I would... I would lean in on questions. We are taught to have answers and to know the answers, but the reality is no one single one of us really has the complete picture, right? We need each other. Mm-hmm. And through asking each other questions and listening, not, and, and the way we ask questions, for example, the way that you're asking questions actually is an answer into who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. No, it's uh, it's revealing the, how you the questions you ask reveal as much, perhaps more, than um, the answers that one gives. Um, I heard recently uh, an advice on interviewing for a job interview, and it's uh, uh, the advice was shared by one of my former students to another student was spend most of your time preparing on the type of questions that you're going to ask the interviewer. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the answers. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is fascinating. Sanya, we're going to take a short break here, and I know that you have graciously agreed to stay with me on this next half hour in the show where we're going to open up the phone lines to talk with you, with us, about uh, about launching. And, and I'm particularly interested in hearing from you and also from listeners about how you gain confidence and overcome doubt and deal with the imposter syndrome that so many people <laughs> suffer. Um, and 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 of of how you can overcome the the failure that most of us have to see what's right in front of us, and mm-hmm. the guilt that holds so many people back that I hear from clients and students and all kinds of people all the time that you know well I couldn't do this because well they won't let me or it'll make other people feel bad. I know that you have a lot of wisdom on those questions and more. So folks, uh, stay with us. We'll be back in just a bit, uh, and I'll be taking your calls. At 844-WHARTON, that's 844-942-7866, Sonia Nshung will stay with us and learning more about her work, her book, The Launch Book. Number again, 844-942-7866. If you're trying to launch something, anything in any part of your life, we can help you. Give us a call, 844-942-7866. I'm Stu Friedman, and this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. 
You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Stu Friedman. your superpower let's discover that welcome back folks to work and life i'm your host Stu friedman the founding director of wharton's work-life integration project and our leadership program i am speaking with sun yin shung who is the executive director of the coach k leadership and ethics center at duke university's fuqua school of business we're talking about her wonderful new book it's called the launch book you gotta get it it's really accessible and very, very cool in its uh, use of wonderful interviews about how people overcome uh, all the natural inhibitions of fear and uh, guilt uh, to to start something new. Uh, the The number to join the conversation with me and Sonia is eight four four Wharton. That's eight four four nine four two seven eight six. Are you thinking of trying something new, but are afraid or face some obstacles? Give us a call. Tell us your story. Or did you recently launch something in your own life? And not necessarily just a a new business, but a new anything. I'd love to hear about the experience, and I'm sure that Sonia would as well. It could be a business challenge uh, or change that you made, something in your personal life or in your your social life. Uh, if, If you're a manager or a boss listening, how can you encourage your people, your employees, to stretch themselves and to try something new? In other words... What, what can you do to create the kind of social environment that propels people to want to launch? So, again, the number is 844-942-7866, talking about launches, starting new things. All right. So, um, Just do. Yes, um, Sonia. When you mentioned creating the type of social environment, yes. creating the type of environment that facilitates mm-hmm. launches, um, I just want to highlight that I love that theme music. <laughs> and music is actually a key part of our environment. Like when we feel oh. down, um, you can't feel down when you hear that Superman theme song. Well, that's I mean, not our usual powerful. theme song. That uh, Tatiana's Amis, <laughs> who is our, our sound engineer and music director, uh, chooses uh, these little uh, tidbits based on what uh, what she's hearing in the in the show and. Yeah, we figured Superman theme music was appropriate here uh, to to get us in the right mood here for the second part of the show. Yes. And it's actually a good tip. It's a good tactic. You know, when you are not feeling brave, mm-hmm. think about the type of music. What's, your, what's on your playlist? All right. Let me ask you, Sonia, what is on your playlist? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know what? My playlist is my children's laughter. So I have three kids, ages eight, six, and four. And yet oh, wow. there are times where I feel like I have ping pong balls ricocheting in my head all the time. Mm-hmm. But um, when I'm feeling down or feeling not very brave or like I can't, I can't tackle something, I actually go and spend an afternoon with them. Mm-hmm. And their laughter pumps me up. <laughs> How could it not? Wow. Oh gosh! So, so all right. We, we're thinking of playing that Superman theme song music for uh, for, for the remainder <laughs> of the duration of this uh, radio show. But um, yeah, your kids laughed, and I want to I want to talk to you about what it was like to write this book while uh, also striving to be the mother you wanted to be and want to be for for three young kids. But before we get to that, I know a lot of people listening. Um, and maybe it's you if you're listening right now, are are confronted often with this issue of that you've spoken so candidly about here, Sonia, and that is bravery or courage, confidence. Uh, what is it that you have to say to folks who are, who are feeling afraid um, of trying something new, something that they might feel really does allow them expression of their superpower in a way that is meaningful, you know, to others and would create value for them and, and for society. But still, you're afraid. You're you're not confident. You, maybe you haven't tried it enough before. How do you help people uh, who are feeling that way? Well, one is to recognize it's normal. So there are so many times. Well, 
First of all, when we read stories in the papers about a business launch or someone getting a, you know, doing well in their career, we often see the highlights. That's the end result. We don't see all the ups and downs before it. I can say there are so many times I want to quit when I'm writing this book, even though what you guys are seeing is the end result. And that's mostly what everyone sees. But Mm -hmm. throughout wanting to quit, being afraid, that's so normal. It'll be abnormal <laughs> if one doesn't have those those fears. That's the problem right? with Facebook, isn't it? Hmm? That's the problem with Facebook posts that that all you see is the polished, you know, gloss of the the quote finished product of everything that's you know beautiful, as opposed to the mess that is the everyday experience that most of us are striving to somehow come through with something yeah. beautiful and uh, that we feel proud of. Yes, and um, and. With social media, we fall into that comparison trap. And I think that's why going back to knowing who we are and defining what that win looks like for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, A win, okay, so the end result is a book. But the wins are very different for why you write a book versus why I write a book. Mm -hmm. Um, I also wrote this book for my children. And actually, that's what powered me through the times when I wanted to quit is I visualize them holding this book in their hands someday when they're when they're older and they might need to be braver in launching and they're facing fears and that they can open up this book and say okay mom went through this too and this is okay and this is how we get through it so one is embrace that fear mm-hmm. you know and recognize it's normal and then two once you call it out then you think about what's the worst thing that can happen right and you also then also think about what does success look like in different domains? What do wins look like? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I don't know, you know, I, when writing this book, I didn't know how many copies it would sell. And in a way, that is irrelevant. Um, so what's the win for you? The win for me, one, is it going to be going through this process is it going to, next time I'm launching something, is it going to make me braver? Yes, because now in the irony of launching the launch book is I, I experienced everything <laughs> I was writing about, but now I have a framework. Um, it's more intentional framework for approaching and two, it's for my kids. And I kept, Steve, when I was in London and we had the book launch there because my publishers lit publishing, they're British, mm-hmm. and... I brought my oldest, we brought my oldest uh, daughter, who's eight, with us. The first time, you know, I know walking along the South Bank of London, um, my publisher told me that it's going to be in the National Theatre bookstore. And then we walked past the National Theatre. I said, hey, Sophie, come in here. Let's go take a look. And she said, Mom, wouldn't it be great? What would make this perfect is if your book were in here. And it was. And Aww. I can tell you, imagining that moment, yeah. like that's a win right there because she's gonna she's gonna that's gonna that memory will help her have confidence you know in the future and that's a win let's talk about some of the people that you interviewed for the book and and what what you discovered uh what was the most surprising thing you heard in the from the people that uh, were the subjects of your study so you know i this book i said was the stories were collected over 10 years. So a lot of times there were conversations and then stories I remembered or we had captured those in an interview like, mm-hmm. you know, a few years ago. Um, their stories, rather than surprising, because they've become part of my learning um, and discovery along the way, I would say instead of framing it as surprising, I would say the stories are most meaningful and impactful. Mm-hmm. So I think about Steve Wozniak. So you think about Steve co-founding Apple, and um, or Woz, as he's affectionately called. Yes. And he talked about when an investor came and wanted to fund and asked him to, he and Steve Jobs to start Apple, he said no, <laughs> because he wanted to be an engineer, and starting Apple would take him away from that. So mm. it wasn't until they reframed for him that he will actually get to still be an engineer uh, with the company. Um, that That's why he launched. And then after he said the other thing he wanted to be was a, a uh, elementary school teacher. So after he left Apple, he did just that. He went and taught fifth grade. 
Isn't that wonderful? Was he, was he a good fifth grade teacher, do you think? I think from everything I've heard and read, uh, he is a pretty phenomenal first grade teacher. I mean, if you spoke first grade. him. Oh, fifth grade. Sorry, fifth, fifth grade. Okay. So, and he's still doing that? Um, I, I think hmm. he has All moved right. on to other things. But... Folks, you'll have to look that one up. <laughs> and, um, and then this idea of uh, generosity runs through, right? Being you and being generous. Mm. Um, big believer in being generous. Because I think resilience is actually tied to uh, generosity and that's actually tied to community. Um, what I mean by that is when you're down, that's when you should think especially hard about being generous because mm-hmm. that gives you a sense of perspective. And a lot of the common patterns through the people I interviewed in the book, whether those generosity stories made it into the book or not, is that they are successful because they are generous every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I love Frances Hasselbein. She's been mm-hmm. a tremendous mentor. Frances. Yes. And so her story about being a principal for a day and instead of going in to the school that had zero graduation rate, um, she, instead of going in and saying, you guys should do things this way, she did the very Frances Hesselbein thing, which is ask the students, what will you need to succeed? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there, there are just so many stories throughout. Well, that's that. that's inquiring of your customer, right? To yeah. <laughs> co-create solutions that work for them, work for you. That's right. Or the idea of Melissa Bernstein. So Melissa, when she talk about failure, so Melissa Bernstein co-founded Ooh. Melissa and Duck Toys, which is one of the most successful toy companies in the world today. Mm-hmm. And if you visit Melissa's office, behind her desk is a wall of, um, there's about, I think she has about 500 toys. And she said, those are all the toys that made it out into the market and failed. Mm. And I thought, and she's like, this is only a fraction of the failures. Mm. But, but her company is incredibly successful. So she said, imagine what my success rate is in terms of the toys to market. What's the percentage? Very low. Very low. 40%. Oh, I would have guessed lower. But 40% is, imagine, so I said to my students, um, and it's in the book too, if you take a class and it's guaranteed that you will learn from it, for your that would help you in life, but the highest grade is 40 out of 100, would you take it? <laughs> That's why nobody's signing up for my classes. <laughs> mm. Is that the highest grade you give out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, and um, yeah, so with Melissa, that reframing of failure, and then the idea of sometimes failure is just a matter of timing. So reframing, in the case of Waz, reframing the, the, the challenge ahead is, well, you, you're still going to be the engineer that you want to be, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. Or uh, with Melissa uh, Bernstein, re- reframing failure as, I guess, learning, right? As Which learning. is a core to innovation of, of any sort. Hey, folks, the number is 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. I've got Sanyin Sheng here, and this is her launch of her very first radio conversation interview. And uh, I know that she would love to hear from somebody listening out there right now about what they want to ne- learn from her about with respect to starting something new or launching. The number again, 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. You've written about the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what you've discovered about that and what advice you have for those people who might be suffering from that syndrome, including Uh, yours truly? (laughs) Really? Well, go on. Okay, so uh, with the imposter syndrome, you know, it's not, it's, it has nothing to do with what the reality might be. It actually has more to do with one's perception and the narrative we tell ourselves, right? Like whether we don't belong or we're not good enough. All right, so instead of fighting it, why not just say, let's turn it around, let's reframe it. All right, so what if the reality is we are not good enough? It's we are not good enough right now. We still have time with preparation. Why don't we then just prepare more and so that in six or seven months' time, we will be not only good enough, but exceed expectations, our own expectations. Hmm. 
So that's one way. And then the second thing is uh, where I've seen the imposter syndrome um, surface is when someone gives you praise, um, we tend to, a lot of people tend to be dismissive of that praise versus if I say, you know what, you're not doing as great of a job, we will be all over that. Mm. Why is that? Why don't we, you know, we'll be trying to figure out what behaviors do we do that can lead us to do a better job. Well, next time we hear praise, why don't we dive in and use that as a way to discover something about our strengths and ask, well, what about it makes it good? Help me understand so I can replicate this Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. behavior. And when people start putting that substance behind that praise, it's it's going to be more believable, and it also helps us discover something about ourselves. Sure. Superpower. So how do you overcome the, the, the natural inhibition that most people would have about asking for explanations as to why other people like them or praise them? I think, right, because most right. people would feel like, oh, I, I can't do that. I mean, the, 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 the courteous thing to do is to deflect rather than inquire mm-hmm. further. Well, we seek their we seek their help in helping uh, investment in our success. So it's mm-hmm. about ref- it's about how we ask them for that feedback, hmm. right? So instead of saying, "Well, so what makes me what makes it good?" Being able to put context behind and saying, "You know what? Thank you so much for that. Can you help me understand the behaviors I did? Because I may not, so I can replicate this. I may not. It may not be something I've thought about. Hmm. What makes it good?" So is this this part of the remedy for imposter syndrome? I think so. Oh, yes. Yes. Because part of the imposter syndrome is when someone, we tend to deflect praise, right? Or it elates us for, what, one second? And then we just say, oh, they must be saying it just because they're being nice. Hmm. So not not really accepting Mm -hmm. your value. Mm. So what else can people do? who were, uh, for whatever reason, afraid to accept that they do indeed have value and thereby greater confidence and bravery in trying new things? You know, something I've been thinking a lot about is the way that stories, the stories we tell ourselves, mm-hmm. how that can inform our identity and our sense of self. And by story, we choose what story. We have the choice. Um, of what we choose to add into that story and why we choose to leave out that story. The thing is, I don't think we're very intentional about the narrative we tell ourselves. And here's what I mean by that. So, um, you know, Peter Drucker once said, look out the window and see what is visible, but yet unseen. Right? We, we can see failures. So I tend, I have the imposter syndrome because... I tend to see my failures or the things, the times when I've fallen short of my own expectations or others, uh, others' expectations of me. And the narrative I've unintentionally built up by seeing those failures is that I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm a failure. If one reflects, steps back and reflects and think about, all right, and engage with others on this. Let's think about the times when I've actually hit a home run or if I've actually succeeded and take stock of that and then build that into the narrative. It's choosing to see those things as well, because what we choose to see really becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Mm. So if we see, we, we are as hard on ourselves in seeing our successes as we are on seeing our failures, I think having that fuller sense of who we are, our strengths as well as our weaknesses, um, will help us over the imposter syndrome. Hmm. You know, we we only have a couple of minutes left here, Asanya. So uh, let me ask you to offer our listeners uh, your uh, what's what's the really big idea if you were to try to capture um, you know the, the essential idea and what it is that you're you're getting at with the launch book and what you hope that they, uh, that readers um, will take away from it. What is it? Oh, gosh. Um, launch in pursuit of becoming your best self because there's no risk in that. When you're pursuing your best self, 
becoming the best self that you can be, the type of contributor that you can be to the world, then there's no risk, right? It's um, when we start falling into the comparison traps and we start looking on along a set of different metrics that's not values, that's not aligned with your values. You can't control the outcome. I can control how many copies this book sell. You can't control whether your um, your business will earn $5 million or $10 million or sell for a billion dollars. You can't necessarily control that outcome. You mm-hmm. know, it's too much of a VUCA world. But you can control the Too much of a what? The, huh? Too much of a what world? Uh, VUCA, volatile, uncertain, chaotic, ambiguous. Okay. Too, <laughs> too much VUCA. VUCA world. So what can you... So, so the key so is you, to focus on what's within your realm of discretion, your range of discretion. Yes. And when you, when you have... So for example, when I set out to write this book, what I can control is giving it the best input, the best stories. Mm-hmm. I can... The advice that's helped me so I can help the reader. You know, um then that that I can control, right? And that's how we, that's, that's my best self that's in that book. Um, so launch in pursuit of your best self and which aligns back to what's the purpose and how you define your win. Sanyin Shung, thank you so much for joining us on the show tonight. How can people find out more about you and about the great work that you're doing and, and about your new book? So several ways. One is they can uh, follow me on LinkedIn. So on LinkedIn, the book is static. So there's there's a framework in the book, but I'm constantly capturing videos with different people who, different leaders that I come in contact with and getting their perspective. So uh, these are short one minute videos that I'm putting on my LinkedIn feed. I've seen them. They're awesome. Oh, thank you. I, I can't wait to have you on one of those videos. Great. Anytime. <laughs> Um, and uh, also with Cole at Duke, C-O-L-E at Duke. Cole mm-hmm. stands for uh, the Coach K uh, Center on Leadership and Ethics at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. Cole at Duke.org. Mm-hmm. That's what our center is about. And then the book is available on Amazon, on B- uh, BarnesandNoble.com, Target.com. Uh, and I would love to hear from listeners their feedback on how the book has helped them and how uh, and where where uh, where it can be better. I think that would be useful too. Awesome, Sanyin Shung, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the show. Really appreciate your time and your energy and your your bravery and <laughs> wonderful energy. Steve, thank you. It's a it's it's such a joy, and this was so much fun. And uh, your reputation is. It's it's golden. It's golden. And so I'm blushing. Thank you. Delighted to be a part of this. Great to have you here. And thanks everybody for uh for listening to the show tonight. If you have a question about something you heard on the show, you can just email me, Friedman at Wharton dot edu. You can sh- uh, follow our show on Twitter at BizRadio111 or me at Stu Friedman. And you can find edited versions of selected shows as free podcasts at workandlifepodcast.com. Thanks to our producer, Patty Hall, our sound engineer and music director, Tatiana Zamis. I'm Stu Friedman. Uh, this Friday, if you're in New York City, I'll be speaking at the World Business Forum at Lincoln Center. How about that? So maybe I'll see you there. Thanks for listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.